Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design in Melbourne, and I'm with an architect called Paul Porjazowski. Correct, Paul? Absolutely. <laughs> and with his partner, Meron, also Paul Jasowski, um, they are the creative duo behind the architectural firm Bent Architecture. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Paul, you actually started quite early establishing your own practice in the early noughties. Yep. You worked for a couple of uh, practices before you started. One was Robert Conti, mm-hmm. and the other was James Brealey, who later went on to China. Why start your own practice so quickly? Didn't you feel like you needed a bit more time to really be thrown in the deep end? Um, probably. A bit, probably um, naivety, I think, starting early. Um, I've, I felt like I, I knew that I, I was I liked the idea of working for smaller firms and I really enjoyed my time at, uh, at um, Roberts um, and then felt like I needed a, a bit of a change and something a bit more interesting in terms of scale and that's where I, and so when I moved to James's at the time um, we James had already set up the Shanghai studio set up the practice in China um, and we were working on some really large scale projects. Um, he, he did a lot of urban design projects. Yeah, as well. some really significant urban design projects, um, massive um, housing projects, mixed use projects. It was really, and you know, I think I started. I started there um, in early January. I I um, I started. I think I came home about three days later, because we were just you know f- started and straight onto a design competition, and you know it was just twenty four seven. It was really full on, really exciting. Um, but also quite draining as well. So at the end of that year, it was clear that the office was really, at the time, wasn't really viable in Melbourne. It was really, it, the, the future of the practice was in was in China. And that's where they went. And that's where the office really um, um, fully relocated in the end. Um, so I probably left uh, towards the towards the end. I think I think the office was um, almost exclusively in China, probably six months after I left. Is so, James still in China? I think he's my. I think he's back. Uh, the, the office is definitely the the office is definitely still there. I think he might be back and might have set up something small here. I'm not. I'm okay. not quite sure. So, you in 2003, you you'd already met Marin. Yeah. So Marin and I met during our study. So I was the year above. Um, uh, Marin, we met. We we were we were at Melbourne Uni at the time that Sona was just being established, and so um, we'd so set up. You don't know what Sona. Sona, the student organisation, uh, which is now a national body for for students, um, and at the time we um, we were part of the first sort of a, a bus tour that went up to to Canberra and New South Wales. And it was really at the at the start of the establishment of Sona. So we went up and we met then. And then you know the rest is history. So <laughs> similar ideas, similar aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, at, at, I mean, you're just finding yourself aesthetically sort of at at, at architecture school. It was probably um, other factors that brought us together, but um, but we sort of stayed together. And I um, I started the practice. I started the practice in 2003. Um, Marin at the time was working for um, Phil Harmer. Um, she was at Harmer's for about six years um and then later she then went on and worked at cox for a few years and so Marin, i so uh, i wasn't getting the big office experience but Marin was no. um i was sort of keen to get going you know how does how does a practice like your start was there a, a great client to, to begin with it 
Yeah, for, for us it was, like I imagine most architects, it was a project for family. So we designed, so the, the, our sort of first project, we were working on a, a small extension for Meryn's parents. It was that, a 70s house. Yeah, yeah, the Bent Road, which was on one of your tours, Stephen, <laughs> many, many years ago. Was it Kevin Borland house? Uh, Ken uh, Woolley. It, originally, it was a Pettit and Sevet house. A Pettit and Sevet, Sydney um, based, Sydney based, sort of the Sydney equivalent of Merchant Builders, yeah. nuts and berries. Yep, um, and Maggie Edmund designed an extension uh, in the early eighties with Peter Corrigan. Uh, yes, uh, it, it was Maggie's project. Yes, um, and um, and despite that, my um, in laws were sort of really close to retirement. My mother in law had just retired, and my father in law wasn't too far off. And the house was going to become a more sort of concentrated part of their every, everyday lives. So um, they wanted to do something with their master bedroom, with with just their bedroom, which was really dark and introverted. And so we we created a a, a new bedroom for them. But um, so that was that was sort of a project that was sort of in the background. And when I decided to to basic to to leave um, the Breely office, that was sort of the first one we picked up and really took seriously. Paul, how difficult is it working for family? Because that's something that I've always been interested in. <laughs> is it kind of, is it something that you've learned since it, you'd have to be careful or is it? Um, in our, look, we had an incredible experience. Um, I, I think it, it possibly helped. It, I think it might have helped that I was a bit removed. I think because I was actually, it, Merrin and I were doing the project together, but I was sort of, uh, sort of running the project, uh, partly because I'd started the practice, but partly it, it was sort of good to have a little bit of dis- distance between Merrin and her parents. They get to they get along brilliantly, but I think that helped. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, um, Colin and Lorraine were just incredible clients. And because they'd been through the process with Maggie many years ago, and they had a real sort of appreciation for architecture and design generally. So there was a real um, trust there in terms of what we were doing. Were either of them in the design field? No, both economists. One was a, a year 12 coordinator at, at um, a high school and and, um, and Colin was the Dean of International um, here at RMIT. So, uh, and uh, in the business uh, faculty before that so um no but but just had a real passion for architecture and design and apart from uh, when when we started the project um we gave them so that the the we were designing a master bedroom robe and ensuite <clears throat> and we gave them three options um um for how to sort of develop the project and Two options were dealing with um, were essentially converting existing spaces within the house, um, like the existing uh, a formal dining room, was um, into the robe and, um, and bedroom. And another, the third option was having the space completely detached and out in the garden. And we showed, we presented the first couple of options because we were sort of grappling with this idea of sort of empty nesters extending the nest. Mm. Um, but it became apparent during that really early design phase that that the new structure should be out in the garden. And and that was probably a really pivotal move, a, a, a pivotal sort of decision on their part that this is the strategy that we want to go with. And then it was, you know, make it happen. Mm. <laughs> and we made it happen. So how does one client grow? How do you grow a practice? It's really hard. I, I, you know, I often think starting a practice is really easy, particularly when you when you're pretty young. It's easy. You know, you've typically got a project starting in the, starting. 
you go to office works, buy all your stationery, you think you're great, you get your laptop or whatever it is and get going. And it's actually really easy to start. I think it's um, maintaining a practice that's really hard, particularly when you finish that first project or finish that first couple of projects. It takes a while before you can get it photographed. It takes a while before you can get it published, before you can really get it out there. So um, it just... You know, in terms of exactly, we we were fortunate with that particular project that we got a lot of um, coverage um, for it. We, you know, it was published quite broadly here in um, Melbourne. It got published overseas. Um, it won an Institute of Architects award, um, so it got a fair bit of recognition. And <clears throat> I think it it then meant that when um, we went to sort of meet new clients and introduce ourselves. Um, it felt like we had, even though we didn't have a big portfolio of work, had a great, we had a great you know, it was a great project and, and people sort of would take a bit of notice. Um, and then, you know, a bit of fortune with, you know, we, we don't have, I, I certainly didn't have a, a really big um, sort of um, client base or school friends or anything like that. It was sort of really built from the ground up and it just, just sort of happened and evolved and... Um, and yeah, surviving that second and third year were really the hardest, but we we got Is through it. Is it more word of mouth and people ring and yeah, a lot of word of mouth. Um, I was still when I started the practice, I was still um, contracting a bit. I would con- like even uh, I'd, I was doing the contract admin on a project for James. At the end of the project, and when I left, I just continued doing that while I was. Um, uh, in my own practice, I was contracting back to him for a little bit. I was, you know, doing documentation for other architects. I, I still, I was pretty um, adamant that this was going to be it. I didn't really want to go back into, I, I wanted to make it work and I wanted to um, really give it a chance. Um, and so I just looked at opportunities for, for making that happen. So I, <clears throat> as I said, I documented for other architects and met other um, really interesting architects. And So Paul, um, you and Marin and the practice have um, now done a number of houses, probably quite a few houses, yeah. particularly in the eastern suburbs, Baldwin. Um, I saw recently you did this beautiful pavilion house, yeah. you called it, and that was an interesting idea where it was just a very small idea to start with and it kind of grew into the house. Yeah, it was. we actually um, we received a phone call from our then potential client talking about the fact that that um, quite a large house was was about to be built um, behind them, and she wasn't sh- quite sure how to deal with it. Didn't know privacy issues. Privacy, you know, do we move? Do we just find something else? Um, you know, loved but loved being where they were, loved the house, um, and so they were just not sure about how to handle it. And and at that stage, it was really I think there was a planning application in for that house, and that was it. Um, and we had a bit of a chat about it, and then I didn't hear from them for about six months, I think, once the house started um, being built. Mm-hmm. And and she thought, well, you know, it sort of uh, thought she'd give us a call back. And, and then we got we got talking was about... the house behind her already the, started? Yeah, that had started construction, and so um, Nicola um, got in contact with us again, and um, and that's when the project really kicked off. And, and, it, and it started with this idea of, of constructing something in the backyard... That would, um, that would screen the house, uh, the the house that was about to be built, uh, but also provide some outdoor amenity um, for their property. And once we once we started thinking about that structure, an outdoor pavilion, 
uh, we started thinking about how that would relate to the to their own house, and the project really evolved from there. So the actual pavilion started towards the rear of the property, which yeah. is quite covered. Then there's a series of almost um, podium mm. uh, that people can, you know, the family can kind of enjoy being on, and then it kind of the renovation almost crept into the house and then it started to nuke, oh, well, we better do the kitchen and then we better do an upstairs bedroom. So that's kind of an interesting one that it started from a small pavilion and it kind of grew. Was it just a realisation that actually the pavilion showed up that there really needed to be something more in the master plan? Yeah, I think there was always probably a, a master plan in the back of their mind, um, but it, it was one of those things where uh, the project really just evolved, and and it's it's. I mean, we, we always say it's impossible to design a house, whether it's a new house or an extension, without understanding the landscape, and and without understanding the houses around you. Um, and in the same way, it's the same designing from the outside in that to design this pavilion and the landscape associated with it, we really need to know what the existing house, how the existing house would respond. Mm-hmm. And so it made sense that. It, it should really be done as one project, and it and it evolved from there. Paul, um, you recently won an award for Melrose Health, which was quite an interesting project as well. Again, it was a little bit, a few bits and pieces started to evolve into a bigger picture. Yeah, we at Melrose Health we were um, relocating um, a. A company, Melrose, a, a vitamin type company, a health product company. Um, we were relocating their office um, from Clay, uh, from Mitcham actually to to Mount Waverley um, into a new warehouse office building. And our client um, really just wanted the office to to bring it up a notch, you know, to paint new it. carpet, paint some new furniture, really just make it feel uh, much nicer. Um, and of course, you know, when when we started the project, we we tried to get a get to know our client a bit more uh and the company um and we thought that that the the ethos of the company was sort of talking about a whole body health approach to life um and 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 the company um you know they they harness nature they use a lot of natural products to make their um to make their products and we thought that the same should really apply um, to their office space, that the office space should harness. Breathe. Yeah, absolutely. Because the building itself that they were moving into was your classic um, refrigerated box. You know, it was your two-story block, um, single glazed windows with no eaves, just completely dependent on air conditioning, really unresponsive. So, in a sense, Paul, this project also started out as a landscape project. In a sense, well, yeah, I mean, we we wanted even in a w- with residential projects, you know, the the relationship to the outside is really easy. I mean, they're they're really interdependent, um, and often it's ignored in these sorts of commercial type projects. And and we and you know, we thought that the that the office, the existing structure, should really respond to the outside a lot more. So we, one of the ways that we did that was to to actually get the landscape to kind of erode the northern edge of the existing building. So you created almost this arbor-like effect yeah, over that's the northern right. windows. That's right, and the arbor would provide. Um, some sun shading, it support the growth of creepers so that you could get greenery growing up the facade of the building. Um, um, we we removed all of the all of the glazing out of the window frame, kept all the window frames, but replaced the the single glazing with double glazing, and in many cases um, operable windows so that you could get some natural ventilation into the space. And so, just it, it 
and that in combination with um, lots of greenery within the office interior um, just creates a much more um, responsive and, and healthy workplace, really. Um, from memory, Paul, one of the other problems with Melrose Health, well, with that building, was the uh, office staff and the factory staff were very uh, separate. Mm. They were almost like, well, you know, two different companies. And you mm. kind of, in a sense, broke down walls and created this really nice link between the two where you can actually see what's going on in all parts of the building. Yeah, uh, that I, that was a really critical move, I thought, um, for, for, for the project. Um, again, seeing the, seeing the, the company as, as, as one company um, was really important and breaking down that physical barrier. So um, it's sort of seeing, you, you know, maybe trivial on one level, but I think really significant on another that, you know, office staff, warehouse staff, uh, can all same interact thing. with one another. They're all part of the same company, all working towards the same goal. Um, and you know, from so from within the warehouse, you can see a view to the outside. You know, some of the things that you know, we if you're within an office space, you really take for granted. Um, and we've managed to achieve that there, uh, and it just creates a a much more responsive sort of working environment. Um, Paul, when you're looking at design such as this, you know, when you're presenting the idea of creating this almost transparent. Uh, connection between office stuff and factory stuff. Is there resistance at first? Like, do people say, oh, that's kind of my area and, you know, why do we have to see into the warehouse that's got nothing to do with us? Um, in this particular... I imagine that that could happen. I mean, in this particular case, no. I mean, um, our client was really, um, really open-minded and um, could see the benefits of it, loved the idea. Again, a, a client that's really sort of engaged with the, with design generally and... Um, really welcoming of these ideas. So, um, no, we actually found he was really, really supportive. Um, Paul, a lot of architects are quite specific in what they want to do. They want to do glamorous homes. They want to do, you know, luxury shopping centres, you know, things that you just kind of dream of. And you recently completed probably something that's pretty unglamorous, which is a crematorium. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't, yeah, don't specialise. Uh, you might after uh, seeing after the, that- one, uh, the, the recent one that I saw... Um, showed you that there's really a lot of thought that goes into a crematorium. When you first got approached to do a crematorium, what was your reaction? Did you think, oh, why would they, what can I do with that? Oh, no, it was uh, bring it on. I think that's usually (laughs) our response to most architectural projects. Um, Probably, again, a bit uh, naive in that sense. We certainly don't specialise at Bench. We've designed, you know, uh, our portfolio is quite diverse. But um, And that was certainly a, a, a really interesting project. Um, really interesting from the point of view that, you know, on one level, um, it's quite an emotional, um, and almost spiritual space, you know, because it's, it's, um, uh, the last time or, uh, that you'll potentially see a loved one. Um, so, it, so from a, a mourner's perspective, it, it's, it's quite an emotional type space. Um, but, you know, but it's also a workplace, you know, where people come, um, to work every day and it, and it's almost a, um, almost, you know, an industrial space on one level. And so trying to balance those needs is a, um, uh, a real challenge. Um, and I think, um, one that we're quite proud of at, out at Altona, it's worked out really, really so well. So it was, um, a 1980s, uh, crematorium. Yep. Fairly factory-like, uh, and no opportunity for a viewing room to see the, coffin really go for the last time, disappear. Mm. You know, what goes through your head in terms of the, the, the feeling that you want to create? 
we for for us we we wanted to create well, a sense of calm that was really that was really important um the the existing building so the, the the complex there were some chapels in the complex that were from the 80s the, the crematorium itself was even earlier than that very dark introverted really horrible space um and there's sort of a growing um, community need to, to be right there at the very end to touch the coffin before it goes into the cremators, which on a really practical function is, is a bit of an OH&S sort of nightmare. So separating people from... Um, from that from that process a little bit is important, but obviously we want them to be able to engage with it, and that's where the the viewing room has come into it. It's sort of a new um, a new program really within um, these types of buildings. Um, within the viewing room, again, we wanted to create a sense of calm. We we quite deliberately um, positioned high level windows behind the cremators. We wanted to also get a sense of um, the sky, the sky, and a sort of that you know a continuity of life um, that we thought would be quite comforting um, when you're within that space. Um, and so you know, apart from you know providing diffuse light um, into the workplace and making it a much nicer workplace as well um, those windows were were um, were positioned so that you could get a sense of sense of the sky and sense of the outside while you were experiencing the whole process and Paul you also considered you know the hearse driver yeah being able to drive in off the street be protected from the elements and deliver the coffin yeah in that's comfort. right yeah absolutely so bringing um, bringing that function in um, so that works really well on a practical level. We then used some screening devices within the main space so that when you're when you're within the viewing room and experiencing the viewing, um, we try to screen off some of the really utilitarian parts of the space. So, so that um, delivery yard, the offices, you know, um, those sorts of spaces within the complex, um, and those screening devices, you know, uh, incorporate timber, some natural materials, um, glazed brickwork throughout that cremation hall to bounce the light around and make it feel like a really light-filled space. They were all um, important gestures. Um, Paul, you very rarely see a crematorium written in a design magazine, written up in a design magazine. It's almost like, oh, we can't talk about that. Mm. Obviously, there's a problem, isn't there? I think so. Um, Because you should be able to talk about all sorts of design things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, I think there's also, I mean, I'm not, I think in terms of the way they're designed here, I think cemeteries are starting to understand that, um, um, that they are, you know, that the crematorium space itself is a real extension of the chapel. You know, we spend probably the focus um, over the years has been in the design of the chapel space the itself. Yeah, the churches and the chapel spaces themselves. Um, and I think there's a sort of a growing awareness that, um, that, that particularly because more and more people want to be part of this um, final phase of the process, that, you know, that the design of these spaces is quite significant and really important um, to the overall, um, yeah, the overall experience of the mourner. So that's, uh, I think, um, these types of projects will become um, more and more prevalent. Paul, on the way to this studio, we were talking about um, some of the issues of being a designer, some of the challenges, and you said something quite delightful. You said um, uh, when people open up magazines and they kind of refer to all the other you know, other designers work and you think, but, you know, 
I do my own work, I have my own aesthetic, I have my own approach. How difficult is it to try and steer someone away from, you know, the visual overload that we have now? I think... um, And ask them to really say, what do you want? Well, I think it's... uh, Look, it is hard because I think visual overload is right. There there are just so many images. And it's great on one level because you can immediately... um, Clients can express themselves and their their ideas um, well, and you can get an idea, a really clear idea about where people are coming from. So, so it's sort of good on on that level. I think where it gets a bit tricky is that you sort of have to say at some point, yeah, okay, now it's time to invest in your project and let your project evolve. Be you. Be you. I mean, we we've always, you know, we've always sort of thought of ourselves, and I, I imagine most architects would that we're a process driven practice you know not a style driven one i mean you can see that looking at our work um and so you know you you want clients to sort of engage with that process and let the process kind of determine whether you know whether well yeah whether that should be natural timber cladding or painted white or whatever it is you know you, you the initial ideas are really important i think sometimes um because your sketches uh, are never, well, you know, are never like, you know, a, a glossy image in a magazine or on a design blog, it's hard for sometimes for clients to take that leap of faith. And so that's what you need. You need to take that leap of faith um, at some point. Um, and, and, and that's, that's the challenge, you know, that you, you, um, great architecture, I think, needs great patrons you need to that will invest in design not just not financially i mean just emotionally really embrace it and, and embrace just, the process and just say look this was that someone else's project it's really not related to this site or the way you live yeah yeah and someone else's design brief you know and um yeah that that's the tr- that's the tricky part that's the challenge you know in taking people on that journey what gives you the most pleasure in the process paul because there must be some challenges on a regular basis, what gives? But what? When do you know you've just nailed it? Um, oh, I think just happy clients. When you when you present a design, we we invest quite heavily um, at sketch design stage uh, with our projects. We really um, we we try to. Uh, we go for the knockout blow really early in the process. In terms of what getting someone well, hooked on, a hook yeah, idea. yeah. You, we we sort of we tend to we take a brief. We have a really we have a good discussion. We have a couple of discussions. We might you know we visit the site a few times, and then we like our own space and we create a design. It's sort of not we don't present a a sketch of a floor plan and say hi. What do you think about this? Or we don't sort of you know we we sort of th- we take it all in. Um, we have as many conversations as we think we need at the start of the process, and then we hit them with everything. You know, it's a plan, it's a section, do it's you a three t- D sketch. Do you t- Paul, do you tend to? provide alternatives schemes uh, or you prefer to go in with one strong idea and then modify it a, a typically one strong idea i mean it's really this is what we think is right for your project now sometimes when you're designing you might think that a couple of different ideas might evolve or you might find that one idea looks like it meets their brief and budget but another idea you know is would greater just be, yeah sensational so in those situations you might you might present a couple of schemes, but typically it's one scheme um, that, you know, we spend a lot of time on, on the brief writing process, make sure that we really get that right. And then we say, well, this is our response. And, um, you know, when you um, when you get a client engaging at that point, I mean, 
yeah, there's, it's it's a great thrill because you because we invariably at that point are really in love with the project because we don't present anything that we're not in love with um, and to get them on board and know that they're happy um, is a great thrill and you know then that the remainder of the process is going to be a good one um, so yeah that's still and and you know probably um, seeing clients when they're in their house as well is and loving it um, is a great feeling I mean I know Probably one of the the best days of um, our career so far, and, and both Meryn and I would agree with this, is that when we were getting, um, we designed a, a public housing project in Dandenong. Um, I think we finished it in 2014. I've sort of <laughs> lost track. 2012, 2014, I think. Um, it was a, a public housing project in Dandenong, and we went out there. Um, we were getting it photographed. Trevor uh, Mean was photographing it. And um, and we just spent a day on site with him and just chatting to um, people on site, you know, a lot of the residents, because you don't get to engage a lot with residents when you're in the design process for a project like that. Um and you're making a lot of assumptions. Were you re- refurbishing anything? No, it was a brand new. It was a, we actually we won a design competition. Uh, it was called Living Places to design um, uh, and, uh, an environmentally efficient infill housing project out in Dandenong. We won the competition, and it sort of evolved from there. So, um, and, and it went ahead. Yeah, went ahead. Was implemented. It was you know a really fantastic project. And but to to talk to. Um, you know, people who had been sort of shuffled around from house to house all their lives um, and to really um, engage with it, to love being there, to really appreciate it and be really thankful for it. You know, it was it was just a, a huge highlight for us um, to know that we'd actually, you know, in a small way or, you know, change and, and people's change, lives. But you do. Yeah, it, it has that potential. That, that's probably why we stay, you know, <laughs> why we do love architecture, despite the fact that it can be a challenge a lot of the time. Um, and, it, you know, it might sound egotistical that you could potentially change, but it's true, it you know, your space, start, the space that you live in and occupy. And in that particular context where you don't get a lot of say, you don't get to engage your own architecture, you don't get to pick your house off the plan and all that. Yeah. So you know, in that context where you can actually contribute, um, uh, it's an amazing feeling. Paul, look, thanks so much for coming today. Um, it's been a pleasure. I have been following your work for some time and um, I love the fact that you take on projects that perhaps other people wouldn't. I mean, the crematorium, I think, is an example and really made it a really interesting project and, and an important important project really that hopefully will lead to other interesting projects so thanks for coming in today um you've been with stephen crafty talking design at rmit university thanks so much for listening